Welcome to the Argus Media Inside Fertilizer Analytics Podcast. We are in an environment where energy prices are surging, fertilizer prices are, are hitting record levels in many cases, and we have the sulfur market, which is in that intersection between energy and, and fertilizers, and even electric vehicles. So we're very glad to have Mina Chauhan join us today to talk about the sulfur market and, and the prospects for sulfur prices in future. Uh, Mina is the head of our sulfur and sulfuric acid research in Argus Consulting Group. So she is responsible for the view we have on future sulfur and acid prices. And she's the editor of Argus Sulfur Analytics. So um, she looks at these things really closely. Mina, welcome to the podcast today. Really good to speak. And we look forward to talking about this current market situation and where it's heading. How are you today? Very well, thanks, Tim. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to talking sulfur. Yeah, brilliant. It's a very timely point to be talking because phosphate prices are, uh, I think, maybe just at record levels with some of the recent deals done. Where's that left sulfur? Can you talk talk us through the trends in, in the sulfur market for the year so far? What are the what are the things that have been most important in terms of uh, sulfur price developments? Sure, absolutely. So, I mean, earlier in 2021, we did see prices reaching two-year highs already, and that was across most of the major benchmarks, really being driven by the tightness that we saw coming on the back of 2020 with fuel demand still in recovery, as well as, you know, starting to see demand ramping up across most end product markets as well. And then more recently, we did see sulfur prices plateauing, and that came as liquidity was improving. But since then, that's really very much given way to a much firmer trend now. So taking the Middle East benchmark for sulfur as an example, average prices have actually increased by close to $120 a tonne since the start of 2021 to where we are now at the end of October. And the last time that we actually saw Middle East prices in the 200s range on an FOB basis was back in 2012. So we really have reached this very interesting time in pricing. That is some surge. It's also mirrored in uh, phosphate markets. Um, and I guess even in energy markets, we've seen some of that strength. Was this most recent price increase expected? Did, did you see this coming or, or was it, was it some, somewhat of a surprise? And, and also, what's, what do you think is going to happen next? Uh, what's your outlook for, for sulfur prices for the short term? I think some of the developments that really changed um, the second half of this year were around supply. And we, we had been expecting to see some new capacity coming online and uh, perhaps a slightly softer view on pricing. But that hasn't materialised. So that's one of the reasons why we um, perhaps didn't see it coming, um, not to this extent, at least. And there's also been some other policy decisions that have come out recently out of China, which I know we'll, we'll hopefully touch on in a minute, too, that, that nobody had expected um, across the fertiliser space. And I mean, for the short term view for sulfur, it's very firm. That's really being supported by the demand that we're seeing in, in some markets. And you've mentioned the DAP price rally, and that's really providing that uplift for sulfur. We're seeing, you know, some key import requirements for sulfur in India with domestic phosphoric acid production expected to see that boost in, in the short term to cover demand. And as I said, on the supply side, we've yet to see anything significant change in terms of capacity. There have been delays because of COVID-19. And so that's having some impact on the short term view, which remains very 
very firm going into the new year as well into through into 2022 more recently we've seen chinese import demand appearing to to slow down and so we would expect to see trade being driven by other countries so india i've mentioned indonesia is another one and north africa as well very interesting Let's delve into the supply side because um, you mentioned there's been some uh, recent developments or changes to, to the, what we expected that have affected our outlook. What, what are the key changes to our forecast for supply for this year and next year, 2022, compared to you know where we were a few months back? There are a number of projects we are monitoring that are expected to impact capacity. The main changes, as has been the narrative uh, for some time now, is really in the Middle East and also in China. And for the Middle East, we're expecting to see about um, an additional 1.4 million tonnes of capacity. That's in 2022. And then going even further ahead to 2023, another uh, 1.8 million tonnes of capacity. And the projects that are influencing that view in that assessment are in Kuwait, which is the clean fuels project, and that's been on the cards for some time. We have seen significant progress this year in, at that project in terms of commissioning and completion. So we we'll, would expect to see tonnage coming from there in, through next year and through 2023. Barzan in Qatar, which is long delayed, of course, with 800,000 tonnes of capacity. Again, that's for 2022 as well. And also in Saudi Arabia, there was a gas project that started up actually last year. It's called Al-Fadili Gas Plant. Um, and we're expecting to see that continuing to ramp up through next year. Elsewhere, we would expect to see some improvement as well as we see fuel demand improving as, of course, the effects of COVID-19 continue to be challenged with the vaccine rollout in some regions. And we've seen higher operating rates at refineries in places like the US, for example. And that's improving liquidity in the outlook through next year, certainly. Excellent. So it sounds like there's some supply on the horizon in the next 12, 18 months, which will moderate uh, sulfur prices. Going back to your point about uh, supply from refineries uh, and the recovery we've seen in, in refinery run rates, which has increased supply and liquidity really for sulfur. What about the structural shift in terms of the energy transition and the changes we see in, in regions like Europe? Are refineries going to be switching increasingly to renewable feedstocks, renewable fuels? Does that transition mean that we're going to see a decline in sulfur supply, particularly in some regions? Very interesting question, Tim, and we're monitoring this very closely. I think really in some regions we are already seeing capacity closures as a result of you know, this whole trend, I mean, for example, in places like Australia, I know in South Africa as well, and also regionally in Europe. And in some cases, these are older and smaller refineries, historically, that have struggled, um, economically speaking. And in volume terms, the impact from these closures on sulphur have been, have been quite limited. Our view is that the new projects and capacity that are expected online in the medium term, these sort of large scale mega projects, if you like, in places like the Middle East, in China as well, on the refining side, would be offsetting the losses that we do see. But I would say the kind of shift over to renewable fuels and um, closures of some refineries that have been converted into terminals and so on has been most felt in sulphur terms in Europe, or West, Northwest Europe in particular. 
And that's where we have seen this material loss in, in the market and uh, a kind of structural decline over recent years in, in um, the energy sector there. So, so that structural change you described, the move to renewables and closure of older European refineries to be replaced by imports from new projects in the Middle East and elsewhere. How would that lack of sulfur supply in Europe be met? Will Europe be short of sulfur? You know, is there going to need to be a, a different source of sulfur or supply of sulfur into Europe in future? Right, exactly. So, I mean, in Western Europe, we would expect that there'll be progress at one of the several sulfur uh, remelted projects that are currently in, in the works. And that would mean then that solid sulfur would be imported from other regions, perhaps um, Central Asia, um, Kazakhstan, for instance, to supply the market um, and be um, remelted for local consumption. Thinking about other markets as well, it's a different issue. Obviously, sulfur is a byproduct ultimately, and any supply gap that's there would not be expected to be met by an increase in production from either refineries or, or gas plants for that reason. Then the only voluntary production of sulfur today is from fresh uh, based production in Poland. And so in our analysis that we've looked at, we would expect to probably see stock drawdowns taking place um, in the future if there was a supply gap in places like Canada, where there is significant uh, capabilities of stocking sulfur and there is a high volume of inventory there today as well. Also places in Central Asia like Turkmenistan that are currently do have logistical constraints in moving uh, significant volumes to the market. And that's where we would start to see some of this shortfall being met. You, you mentioned that we could see solid sulfur imports into Europe being remelted for, for use in Europe. Just that remelting term reminds me of, of the Canadian point you made, where there is lots of sulfur inventory, sulfur in storage long term in blocks. Have you seen any trend towards remelting that sulfur to, to meet the, the market requirements, given where prices are? Or do you think we could see sulfur remelted from Canada and exported? That's a good question. And, and certainly, given the, the scale and size of inventory, it would make sense to see that eventually. At the moment, there doesn't seem to be a great deal of infrastructure in place to do so. And there is the issue around logistics in terms of the location of the block sulfur in Canada, in terms of moving that sulfur and getting it to an FOB basis at Vancouver or, or getting it down into the US via rail. So for the short term, even with prices where they are today, we would not expect to see a sudden influx of remelted block sulfur from Canada. However, Going forward, there are several forming projects in Alberta that we're looking at um, that perhaps would then have the infrastructure in place to access the blocks and bring that to market. Of course, I think one of the other considerations that we are looking at is the lithium projects um, in, in the US, of course, in terms of where that sulfur is likely to be sourced from. And Canada is one option. So there could be potential for sulfur from uh, inventory to be remelted and brought back down as demand increases in the US too. Yes, it's so interesting. The sulfur market's so interesting in terms of the dynamics we have, like the inventories in, in Canada, which are kind of in the background of it, of the market continuously, but don't often get to play a role. But you mentioned the lithium projects uh, in the US. That's a good time to turn to demand. 
can you tell us how the sulfur demand picture looks? Is, uh, let's not look at long term yet. What are, what are the key drivers for the short term on the demand side that you see playing a role in the next 12, 18 months? So the rebound has been strong so far this year following the uh, disruption that we saw from COVID-19 in 2020. And the view for next year is, is very healthy. We are expecting net demand growth to be forecast around uh, two and a half million tonnes next year. And then if we compare that to 2020, that would be close to a six million tonne increase in sulphur demand. And I mean, phosphoric acid, of course, is a, is a leading driver globally for sulphur. And we're, we're expecting to see close to 700,000 tonnes of new demand from that sector next year. And meanwhile, on the metals front, we're seeing significant strides there around 800,000 tonnes of new consumption in 2022 from the nickel sector alone, actually. That is really strong growth. You mentioned 6 million tonnes based on the 2020 number. That really is a substantial increase in consumption. Looking further ahead, what about the EV market, the battery material requirements for future EV production? How is that influencing the sulphur industry? Have you been able to quantify how quickly and on, on what scale you think that will increase sulphur requirements globally? Absolutely. So the metals that are required for battery production do need sulfuric acid in either the processing stage or extraction. And in many cases, that's that's being met by sulphur burners. And that's where the interest for sulphur comes in. Um, so I mentioned the lithium projects already. And I think really the North American market is a key focus area for the more midterm view, mid and long term view. There are three lithium projects in development in Nevada and total sulfur demand from the three projects would be over one million tons a year. That's if they all came online. Indonesia is also starting to see a significant investment um, in nickel HPAL projects. And we've seen trade this year really starting to pick up. Um, as we've seen projects running tests or indeed ramping up. And I mentioned earlier the 800,000 tonnes of demand next year for nickel consumption, and that's obviously linked to battery materials. And it's around three quarters of that that will be from Indonesia alone. So that gives us a sense of how how much that country will be driving this view. And that's certainly going to continue and absorb uh, a lot more sulphur in the outlook going forward. And um, it will become quite interesting to see uh, the trade flows as well being impacted as this kind of new demand essentially comes to life in the next five to 10 year time frame. That's a fascinating structural shift because you've got a, a change from from the past where refined products used in vehicles was the source of sulfur supply to a future where production of electric vehicles requires sulfur for the battery materials so it becomes a demand source that's got to have huge implications for the sulfur market which i know you're looking at in great detail just a question on lithium and the lithium projects in nevada and elsewhere are they usually integrated with sulfur burners for their own sulfuric acid needs so the nevada projects are all new and there are no sulfur burners in place currently we don't actually include these projects in our forecast because they have yet to reach certain key project milestones and we would expect to see at least one of these moving forward and and in across the board we have seen in the feasibility studies and materials published by the companies that the plans include 
sulfur burners. And this is really based on the size of consumption, because obviously on a sulfuric acid basis, when you do the ratio against sulfur, we're talking in excess of three million tonnes a year of, of acid. And there's also the added logistics concerns around sulfuric acid and things like having limited storage capacity. And so sulfur based production is the preferred end use, the preferred raw material for this. And, and there's also the added element of getting the energy credit from sulfur burners as well, which is a, a motivator and on the cost side as well. OK, that makes sense. I guess as with large nickel mining projects, the long term optimal structure would be to have integrated sulfur burners for the energy value and, and the logistics that you mentioned. For my last question, we can't really have a discussion about sulfur without thinking about China. And I wanted to ask you in particular about the planned export restrictions on the phosphates market that's, that, that China's proposed and how that could influence um, the sulfur markets and sulfur pricing. Sure. I mean, both DAP and MAP availability for some of the key markets will be restricted as a result of this shift. And that's expected currently to last until June 2022. So taking us through the first half of next year. And we've seen from our phosphates team that the DAP balance has really shifted from an expected surplus in the short term forecast to um, a deficit or and in some cases just tighter market. We've already seen that impact in prices for phosphates as well. And from a sulfur perspective, this really means that there's a firmer outlook in pricing terms, at least in the short term, from some of the key markets outside of China. I was talking to our phosphate team earlier. There's certainly a danger as well of a potential demand destruction in the DAP market if prices do continue to go on this rally going into 2022, which would then, of course, lead to a reduction in, in sulfur as well for that sector. In the current situation, we are starting to see that, that China is not looking for import uh, volumes of sulfur at the moment. And there's a view that we perhaps would start to see that, you know, lending some downward pressure to the sulfur market. However, as I said earlier, we're seeing quite a lot of strong demand from places like India and so on, which is kind of offsetting the losses that we are seeing from China not being part of the trade picture right now. Yes, absolutely. The the fact that sulfur prices remain so strong while expectations are that China will import less sulfur is a real reflection of how strong the fundamentals are globally. Uh, Mina, I think uh, we, we have reached the end of our time. It's been really interesting talking through what's going on and there is so much going on. So uh, thanks for your time uh, and thank you for listening. If you're a subscriber to our Argus Sulfur Analytics Service, uh, please uh, go and download the latest version. We published that at the end of September. Also, uh, the new Argus Sulfur Outlook is is out just a, a week ago. That's got the latest short-term forecast. Um, also, Mina is always available to to talk and answer questions to our subscribers, so please get in touch if you'd like to set up a call with her directly. If you aren't a subscriber, please go to the Argus website and find more information or speak to your account manager for for details of a subscription. We'd love to have you on board. We hope you enjoyed this, this update to the sulfur market today, and we, uh, we do look forward to hearing from Mina again in a few months' time and uh, getting updates on, on this very volatile and dynamic market situation. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm.